Hey, it's episode 24, 24 of whatever you niche. This is Nick Weckman speaking. This is Caleb Miller Sprecken. And this is Alex Bergen obloing. Oh, that's fair. Hoblo, hoblo. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we're back. Hey, we, we took a little bit of a break. Whoa, uh, little? Maybe you noticed. Maybe, maybe. you didn't. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we had, we had some life, life events going on. Yeah, Bergen. we sure did. Yeah. What'd you do, Bergen? I went to a wedding in China. Oh, that's China. Ch- that's China. It was excellent. Excellent. What did you do, Nick? Yeah. I went to the West Coast, including Oregon and Canada. Canada. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they got a coast. And the uh, the and Vancouver Island, mm. oh, yeah. which is still Canada, so it doesn't really... Yeah. But it's cool. Subsets are awesome. They yeah, have, what'd you do? They have socialized medicine. That's all I cared about. Uh, they, 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 all the Canadians were sure to tell me. <laughs> Caleb has some pretty big life news. Oh, well. just, I live in a new house. My girlfriend bought a house, and you know it's really wonderful to live in it and be a, be a part of it. You and know, we it's, recorded it's, this episode. That's what we're doing. That's first where episode we are. in the new yeah. house. If you like the sound of this room and you like blankets on the wall, I got a place for and you. And you don't mind the <laughs> screams in the background. <laughs> hey, get out! Uh, get out! Uh, so today is exciting. It's is our first episode that like a guest reached out to us that none of us knew, and they were just like a, a fan of the podcast um, to talk about kind of biochemistry and how it related to their own struggle with addiction, specifically with heroin and like those sorts of um, related substances. substances. Yeah, yeah, really say, yeah. strong tale. I mean, yeah. you know this the the really places cool and the things that have happened to him the strength you know yeah really strong you'll hear us just call him e and uh because it'll be an anonymous episode yeah uh but since the, we had to do this over skype he's on the west coast yes. and so you'll hear a bit of a hum in the background do, as doing our best to get rid of it yeah but yeah. yeah but yeah. uh we know it's there so you don't have to tell us yeah yeah. Uh, you can if you want. You though. can we like it yeah. when you reach out vent, reach out vent in any way vent it baby yes um, get it out but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really cool episode. A little bit of a delay, uh, but we had a great time talking with E. Um, speaking of great times, yeah, and you know what you're gonna have a great time hearing is the music in this episode. Um, I wanted to feature this act for a while. The music thefts episode is gonna come from Field Sleeper. Uh, it's a solo or trio format of uh, Alex Paquette's uh, songs. He's a Columbus-based artist. Um, this is going to be music from his record, Better Grid. Yeah. Out on uh, Sayota Records. Really great, strong, you know, sort of reflective songs. You can buy it. Yes, please do. Oh, yeah. Like, on Bandcamp. Yes. And that way he can afford a tent so he doesn't have to sleep in a field. Uh, whoa. Little, hey. little field sleeping pun there. <laughs> it's on vinyl, too. So, you know, there's even more money. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Christmas is coming. Yeah. And uh, Daddy needs a better grid. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 24! All right, and we are here with 
E. Hello. Uh, doing our first um, long distance podcast. Yes. This is exciting. Another kind of, w- it's like half half wherever you niche, half whatever you niche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whenever. We're in the, the same delay. place. We are in a new location, actually. That's We've right. never That's recorded right. This here. is also the first uh, happy, happy uh, house, new house to Caleb. Uh, well, yeah. I, I don't. I don't own it, but I can take credit you for owning here. it. I live here. Yeah, you my girlfriend owns it. That's happy right. new dwelling. Hey, I love it. That's right. Um, <laughs> new, new place. New space. But yeah, new space, new place, and new face. Speaking of new face, E. We've got E here. Um, so What's up, say, guys? Say hi. Hey, you're how you doing? That beautiful voice you're hearing, you are hearing from uh, somewhere in California. That's right. Um, San some, Diego. Some first attempt to go over. San Diego. Okay. San Diego. Oh, I couldn't remember if it was San Diego or San Francisco. I knew it was some some saint it's was pretty involved. Pretty extremely the cheaper different. One. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, the cheaper one. Sure, yeah. I imagine so. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, I thought we could start this off. It, w- would you maybe quickly talk about how maybe you found us? Even because I, I think it was it's just kind of cool. How a connection's made. Yeah. yeah how yeah. this connection was made. Yeah. So I was originally, I, it was some random day at work. I was, uh, I was talking to one of my Chinese coworkers about his country and stuff and, you know, all the things going on there. So I got like kind of an interest and a bug in learning about modern Chinese culture and the transition into like modern China and, you know, the cultural Mm -hmm. revolution. So I was just like stumbling around my podcatcher looking for a different podcasts that would describe like a day in a life at China, like not something so mm. critically uh, that's taken through such a critical yeah. lens. And Ground I, level. yeah, exactly. And I, I, I stumbled upon Alex's uh, episode. Uh-huh. And I, I yeah, I missed that part of the story earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love the the scooter stories and all the interesting things that he experienced over in China. I think you were eating duck feet or something like that. That were yeah. noodles at one point. Well, I thought they were noodles, but it was the webbing. Yeah, <laughs> the webbing. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the, the first thing I bought there. Yeah, one of the yeah, more you know, peculiar yeah, so parts of the duck. But yeah, go on. No, that's great. Uh, I was just going to say, so So for those listeners, if you haven't heard, we did an episode where we focused on Bergen. Bergen was our, or Alex was our actual guest, and he talked about his time in China. He spent four years in China teaching English, and so you stumbled into that, and that was how you found the podcast first. Yep. And it was and a great way. Hell yeah. <laughs> and awesome. then you reached out, you reached out to, to me. So uh, if you're listening to this, you know, you, That's can, next. you too can reach out. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, please do. Yeah, you reached out through the website and it was cool because like, I didn't know, what ex- you kind of like gave me this long story just about kind of what you'd been through and your life. So I was trying to think of like a cool way or like a cool subtitle to put on this episode. And I almost, I I'm still thinking of ideas. I'm not sure if you had to like, because uh, okay, so you are a practicing biochemist. Is that the correct, correct term? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. For an for an undisclosed agency, or what would you call it? Laboratory. Uh, it's a yeah. It's like an R and D facility. Uh, we're R&D. satellite research and development. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, That's awesome. And it mostly focuses on, or should we talk about what it focuses on? Yeah. I don't know how so, much you want to 
Yeah, keep, keep on the down low. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I can like talk about it in a more general sense. That's less in identifying. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, tell us about tell us about what you do these days. Yes. Yeah. So I work at a cellular engineering unit, and so essentially what we do is we take uh, biological, uh, you say building parts or you know just cells and stuff like that and essentially we uh, modify them to accomplish whatever we're trying to do so in the case of myself specifically I am working on a new drug delivery platform so uh, we recently Hmm. discovered a new messenger molecule that uh, is used to communicate between different types of cells and it's uh, it's called an exosome and this exosome essentially acts like a mailman in a way it is allowed to communicate with different cells it doesn't react it cause any kind of like immune response so it's immune privileged and through and that <laughs> say that again yeah i said and dogs hate it yeah yeah dog, dogs hate it yeah, man dogs hate it <laughs> pretty on point you know? and, it's, and it's a little slower than U- ups yeah <laughs> But um, so uh, a huge issue with cancer therapeutics in particular is their lack of specificity and the uh, immune response, the natural immune response against it. And so with these molecules, we can essentially pack them up with whatever drug we want, modify the outside of them so that they home into a specific cell type, such as like a malignant cell and then deliver a payload. So this would be some kind of silencing, like a gene silencer or something like that. And so that's just one uh, aspect of this platform. It can be used, like I think the long-term plan is to essentially create this platform and then you could sell it to different companies. And so that's, yeah, that's just like one aspect of this company. This company does a lot of other uh, different things that you may or may not have like read uh, read about in the news, so I'm, I don't, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but that's yeah, what I yeah, do. yeah. That, that, that's a great general, good understanding. Uh, so let's let's go into let's go into that story some. So you got you were um, obviously you went to school for biochemistry and whatnot. Are you from California originally? Uh, yeah, I am. I okay. was born in California, raised I would say in like Indonesia in my infancy, and then I spent about. Really? Yeah, my childhood in Australia, and then I came back to the U.S., so it's kind of a hodgepodge. Came back for school specifically? Uh, Yeah, well, it it was my dad's work uh, that was bringing us to these different countries, and because I was getting ready to go into high school and then college, they wanted us within the United States to do so. Yeah. Wow, um, that makes sense. Yeah, not to knock on like Australia or Indonesia. I'm sure they oh. have great academic institutions. Yeah. But just, yeah. Uh, I don't know, because my parents did stability. it themselves. And, yeah, and the stability with that. Or the, the, they, they knew that too or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is, is your dad a biochemist? No, he he does uh, geophysics specifically. So I, I definitely oh. took like a similar path in a way that it's you know a science. But I I definitely wanted to pave my own way. I didn't find geology to be particularly interesting. And after like the millionth time of your dad like pointing out a fucking rock, it gets a little. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can yes. imagine. Yeah. And, and that's, so, see, if you would ever ever have kids or something like that, it'd be the same thing. It's like, all right, my dad just keeps talking about this one fucking cell. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's normal. <laughs> normal. Totally. It's a nice yeah. bond between these yeah. two like unrelated things. So, so, so you came back to the U.S. Uh, high school era. 
Yep. Like, uh, little, well, like middle school, high school, like during school, that huh? transition. And so, uh, yeah, that's when I started to really take a ton of science classes. Like anything, I, I ended up taking every single science class at my high school. Just like I would do that shit in the summer just because I really enjoyed it. And I love learning wow. about like, you know, just to, like theoretical stuff and, you know, the, the science that's coming out kind of on the edge of whatever is known. I always find that like very interesting. It's like, like true science. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the the like groundbreaking shit that like is coming out. Yeah. Like, there's uh, another Absolutely. thing that's been happening with uh, transplanting pig organs into humans, and so oh, I've heard yeah. about some of that shit. Yeah, I worked on a so project. So we can have baby pigs. Yeah, it's so we can have more pig babies. Yeah, pig yeah. It's <laughs> like a grow your own bacon program. Yeah. <laughs> grow, grow your own bacon, but on your body. Yeah. So you can just like rip strips of flesh off mm. right. Well, it's farm to table. That's right. Uh, you know, it's. I think it's like the, the the truest example of farm to table when you literally have a pig growing out of your back. And you can yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's solely done for deliciousness purposes. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> What's the only ethical way to eat meat is to grow it on yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's a very good point. A little green piece right there. Or Forget pita. the Impossible Burger. Um, but yeah, okay. So you're getting you're getting into this stuff in high school, and um, so was it like? I remember when we had our chat, you talked about kind of like almost needing. You you you'd consider yourself a maybe like a more introverted person in general. Yeah. What yeah. You're saying. Huh. And you kind of like needed you kind of needed some sort of like outlet or something. Yeah, so uh, during this time, I uh, I definitely had, like, I, I think with anyone in high school, I think it's pretty normal, like, some degree of social anxiety, and so I would escape myself right. into, yeah. like, my books and research, and then kind of with that, um, I, 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 I started to, like, explore drugs and stuff, um, so I was, like, a, I was a fairly straight-edged person, I would say, up until about sophomore year of high school. And I remember I had a very, like, a month-long debate with one of my friends about whether or not alcohol or weed was necessarily worse for you. And ultimately... Sounds like a very huh? sophomore... High, to me, that, like, that reminds me so much of just, like... Yeah, it's sophomore, junior years of high school being like, well, but this thing is yeah. better than this, yeah, and yeah. this is this. Yeah. And, like, uh, you know, I, I represent King Weed, and I represent uh, Queen Alcohol or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, there's, yeah I totally agree with that. I, I think there's definitely that stereotype within high school and stuff. And ultimately, my friend just presented more accurate data uh, that, you know, proved me wrong. And from there, I experienced... There's the science. Yeah, yeah, it's the science behind it. A fundamental fact, like, you can't just, like, argue with that. I mean, there's data to back right. it up. And so with the, at, like, the idea of, like, endogenous cannabinoid networks within your body versus, uh, you know, alcohol being creating, like, ethanol dehydrogenase, which is, uh, like, alcohol, if you think about it, right, it's through fermentation. That is a man-made thing mm -hmm. versus marijuana, mm -hmm. which is naturally grown. So we've had a lot more mm -hmm. time to adapt with that and be able to process it in a much healthier way than something that got introduced into, like, our lives, you know, uh, far later on in our existence. So your body doesn't sure. have time to evolve with it. Sure. So, well... I guess that's interesting because I, I never thought of it that way. It, it makes some sense, but I wonder like, but what you're dissolving it with 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 alcohol? It's something that 
I get, because there's there's plenty of like um, examples of well no I guess so there's there, there's there's nothing that naturally just there's one tree creates. in Africa one tree in Africa and if you okay. Google drunk animals there is a hilarious video oh, yeah. of like all these like wildlife like <laughs> giraffes and shit just getting drunk as fuck and like not being able to hold up their heads there's and also stuff. lots of Chinese zoos <laughs> on there. <laughs> 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 oh, that's interesting. I've I've done that exact Google search before. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> so so I guess you 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 got into substances in sophomore year, is I guess what we're. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah. you became weed boy. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was smoking weed. I was selling weed. I was one of the first kids within my grade to be doing that, and I had I was still maintaining like a four GPA. I was definitely mm-hmm. one of the. When well, you knew kids. the chemistry behind it. Yeah, and like I, I, I wouldn't say that necessarily made me like a better stoner, but it definitely allowed me sure, to like yeah. slip through the cracks if I got in like a sketchy situation or whatever the case is. You know, yeah. like teachers knew me; they knew me as a very like academically focused person, and I think right. they were more willing to turn the blind eye if I showed up to like video production a little stoned versus like you know my calculus class or something like that. Yeah, but sure, I think sure. that fundamental concept of contradicting what dare had initially told me which was marijuana is you know satan's weed you know it's going to ruin your life and you're going to become like a horrible person i think that fundamental concept led Mm -hmm. me into far deeper things and allowed me to question you know if weed isn't that bad then what else isn't that bad Uh uh-huh and so uh, huh what are you gonna say oh no go sorry go ahead uh so essentially uh I started to read about, uh, fuck, what is his name? The, um, Keasley, Ken Keasley, and uh, the other guy. Uh, Leary, Berkeley. like Timothy Leary? Yeah, Timothy Leary. Like, we started to learn yes. about them and stuff. And from there, the concept of, like, pushing your reality to the uppermost limits sounded really interesting. Cool? And I grew up in, like, a mm-hmm. rich white community. So, like, we had plenty of money and nothing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you can think of me as, like... Ken Keasley huh? and Timothy Leary? Uh, so those are kind of the, yeah, the first, like, uh, uh, Timothy Leary is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of, he's seen as, like, the first guy to, the, the creator of, or not the creator of LSD, but one of the first guys to... Try to understand it. to use it. Yeah, uh, well, exactly. Distributed exactly. distribute that way, too, yeah. yeah. He distributed uh, it, he advocated its usage, because... Fundamentally, when you take uh, LSD, it causes a loss of the ego and allows you... So, like, a very common hallucination on it is that it makes you feel very small and it makes you feel connected to the universe. It's a very common sure. hallucination, which is why people take sure. it and go into the wilderness and stuff like that. And it's a very... Sure. sure. It, it removes a lot of... I would say I had a hard time with being empathic to people prior to my LSD usage, but after doing that, it allowed me to view my actions from another person a lot more easily. If that makes mm-hmm. any and sense. It, because of that ego yeah, that does. And you sense. tried this, uh, you're saying early on in in, uh, in high school. Six, that 16 years old, 16 years yes. old. So very yes, wow. early mm-hmm. for, for someone. And it, it wasn't even yeah. intentional per se. Like I wanted to try mushrooms initially, but yeah. that was all sold out and the dealer only had LSD. So he, mm-hmm. we just decided to do it. So I, I did it the safe way. I had a few of my friends sent me who don't right. take anything and then they just kind of watch out and take me on a good time and i remember i was like eating pineapple talking to a parking column quacking at people <laughs> some really weird shit 
but all the time having like an intense existential breakdown of like who I was and how people yeah. were viewing me. Uh, and I wouldn't that's say a, during the trip, but more afterwards, like towards the sure. end. Sure, that's a powerful experience to have at 16 years old. You know? yeah. So do you still consider that like a, a pretty formative experience? Oh, definitely. I, I think that really caused me to, like I said before, like be able to empathize with an individual. I would say I would like I wouldn't say I was necessarily truly conservative, but I would just spout off the shit that my parents were saying, you know, you just emulate right. what you see. And I never took a second chance to really question about who I was, what I was doing and how I was treating people. And yeah. from yeah, and from there, I noticed that uh, I, I I would have like an addictive personality in the sense of like um, playing lots of video games and stuff. But as far as like all the drugs I experimented with, uh, mm -hmm. I never really particularly had a problem with you know the the initial years. I would say like leading into the end of college, like I tried like uh, ecstasy, um, nitrous, salvia. I mean the whole gamut, other than like heroin and meth. Those were the only two I didn't touch, and like crack, and so yeah, uh, wow, I, those were the no-nos. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and for, and like I think the reasoning behind it would would be a uh, a general interest in into like the human body, you know, because I'm learning about biochemistry, uh, you know, in college, no. and like learning about the different receptors in your brain and how they interact. And I think there is this inherent curiosity that I have that drew me towards science in the first place that allowed me to, I guess, rationalize that different drug usage and how it would affect me just, just, you know, for the fact that, like, I've read about it before, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's really interesting. And, and so, yeah, so let's, let's get into that. So you were saying you were in college, you went... Um, specifically to study, I believe when we talked on the phone, you said it was a certain type of biochemistry. It kind of, you, it kind of breaks down into two different main groups. Is that yeah, idea? yeah. So there's uh, biochemistry with an emphasis in chemistry and biochemistry with an emphasis in biology. And so the difference is, is that one uh, would cause you to study more molecular biology and molecular biology think of it as just like uh cell interactions dna transcription you know uh, mm -hmm. rna uh usage and like modifications whereas uh biochemistry with the emphasis in chemistry dealt more with like uh physical chem so this is using physics with chemistry, with bi like molecular biology, so it was more like a synergy of the three, and I I I took it for a combination of an interest, but to be honest, I didn't really know what it was. Like I had an idea in my head, sure, and when I got through the entirety of the program, I realized that at the end of the day, for a biochemist such as myself, we're going to be dealing more with like proteins which is even like a small smaller level a more microscopic level of like how cells mm -hmm. interact right proteins are the the driving force be like behind a lot of like metabolic functions cellular functions 
And so for a biochemist uh, with an emphasis in chemistry, it would be more towards like dealing with small molecules, uh, engineering proteins, and a lot of heavy duty physics and math. Mm. That's great. So that's like, okay, so now we're getting an idea of, I guess, what you're focusing on in college academically. Right. Yep. And then, um, yeah, so I guess uh, when I'm thinking back to our conversation, you were saying that's like during college is when you started kind of going outside of your rules as far as like drug usage and whatnot too. Is that, would that be accurate? And like yeah. you know, what led that? Yeah, so, you know, with that freedom, I, I know you guys all have been to college, if I recall correctly. So you understand yeah. that when you go into college, right, there are these certain types of people that, uh, you know, as soon as you get into college, you have a lot more freedom. So you're going to be drinking more. You're going to be smoking more. Whatever the case is, I don't know if you sure. guys had a similar the temptation experience. There. Yeah, and, and yeah, th th that was I think the biggest thing to me for college was just things are around me. Yeah. You know what I mean? More than they wouldn't would have been otherwise. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah so I had I always like you know smoked a lot throughout high school. So it's like okay, yeah. well now I don't have to deal with my parents anymore. I can just smoke and like chill in my room Shut up, and like. Mom. Watch, yeah, exactly. And watch like anime and shit. I just have to worry yeah. about my RA. And so yeah. from yeah, from there, dick. huh? I said, like, yeah, that dick. Yeah, fucking RAs, man. <laughs> but uh, but uh, from there, uh, you know, I started to use pot more heavily. I started to party a lot more. I would go to raves a lot and stuff, and take ecstasy and. Um, I met, I ended up meeting an individual who uh, is still a friend to this day, um, and he was a big surfer. I was surfing at the time, too, because you know, I went to Santa Barbara, and so the beach was, like, right there. So, of course, Can't you not. gotta, yeah, and yeah. Be, being a stoner, you know, going out into the waves was definitely something that's just, in, it, it kind of goes with, the, with yeah. surfing, like, you smoke a lot of weed, so. Yeah, there's uh, a reason it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Absolutely. I, yeah. So I met this guy, and he he was struggling in one of our chemistry classes, and he asked me if he could, uh, he, if I could help him with like studying and like get a better grade in this class. And I told him, yeah, I'll do it, but you have to sell me whatever you get a hold of, and I want it at cost. So specifically, I was talking about marijuana, but it led into other things, and uh -huh. so. Um, through that connection, he he had, a, like, uh, I remember one time I went to one of his parties, he had a platter full of coke, like a massive platter full of coke, like out of a fucking movie, and he was passing it. Scarface, no, it like Tony platters, Montana. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Tony Montana. Tony yeah. Montana. <laughs> Tony Montana, except if he was like a surfer stoner kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, so from there, uh, I started to, like, use drugs more heavily and stuff. And at the same time, around that time, I was dating a girl within my major who I, like, it was one of my first, like, serious relationships. So, as you guys all know, the first serious relationship is the most intense and also the worst for yeah. a breakup. And yeah. so... <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, and uh, so I was, I had this breakup go on, and then uh, I was in, like, a pretty weird state at this point, like, kind of depressed and stuff. 
and one of my lab mates, another lab mate of mine who I trust dearly, he's one of my good friends to this day, uh, he ended up asking me to tutor him in quantitative analytical chemistry. And so I agreed to tutor him and uh, he would have to pay me $20 every time he tutored. And so he would come by, you know, we would do our tutoring and pay me $20. And one day he didn't have any money. And he said, oh, I have some heroin. Do you want to try it? And I was like, I'm not going to yeah. inject something. Like, what the fuck? Right. Like, that's another level of like. Yeah, it's also going... just a big jump between like. Yeah. I, I don't have else. this $20 bill. How about this, like, hardcore fucking super illegal substance? Yeah. yeah exactly. It's like exactly. such a jump in. And, and, yeah, and that concept of injecting, too, is like a whole, you know. So you weren't willing to cross well, that line. Yeah. yeah. It no, feels, no. It, it feels that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, taking a needle to your arm, it just conjures a lot of images, you know, from, like, popular media. Like, you've seen, like, yeah. movies like Train Spotting. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Uh, it's about a bunch of for years i still haven't seen it yeah it's yeah. about a bunch of like british heroin addicts and it just shows how hmm. fucked their life is and i had seen that movie yeah. i was well aware of it sure but um he said that you could actually smoke it and it's not a known thing like i don't think a lot of people know that um huh. but you can smoke it because ultimately it's just opium you know just processed a little further and it's isolated just the morphine molecule so it's diacetyl morphine it essentially adds two acetyl groups to the morphine those acetyl groups allow it to uh, cross the blood-brain barrier far faster so it produces an intense euphoria that's very short lasting so it makes yeah. it inherently addictive and it's super fucking intense how, like how, how short uh, so when you try it for your first time, it will last, like, uh, if you smoke it, I would say, like, four to six hours. And you'll vomit. Mm -hmm. You'll immediately vomit. It's way too much for your opioid receptor <laughs> to take. But um, as you tend to, like, go into it more, so say you were smoking, like, once a month or once a week or something like that, it would last about four to six hours, but you wouldn't be vomiting. Then if you yeah. progress and you did it, like, two to three times a week, would last approximately like two to four hours uh and you wouldn't be sick at all and then like if you were doing it daily it lasts maybe like two hours to four hours which yeah. is and it's rather expensive to get good shit so that's it becomes a very nasty habit in that sense yes. you know yeah and and did, did that happen to you that way so you took him up on that yeah yeah so i ended up taking him up on it I was just smoking it when I would tutor him, so it'd be like once a month, you know, I'd get kind of sick and nauseous, but I would feel fucking amazing, like uh, yeah. in the in the train spotting movie, they describe it as having like a full body orgasm for the entirety of that time, and I would say that, that it is a fairly accurate description uh, while you're on it, but it doesn't really, it kind of romanticizes it, but it doesn't discuss the aspect in between, which is feeling like shit and needing to get another head. So, um, I, yeah, so I slowly started to use it a little bit more and then I, uh, inevitably wanted to, like, I, I like I said, I was a little depressed at the time and yeah. it kind of reached like a, a, like a pinnacle at that point. And so I asked him if I could get a, uh, his dealer's phone number and so uh he warned me he i remember this vividly he was like don't do it eric like don't do it like 
if wow. you do this, this is going to be crossing a threshold and you're, it's going to be hard not to say no. And I think he was warning me because he was also in that phase, you know, he was just on that cusp. Of, That's what like, I was going to ask him. happened if, to him. Was he using it the same way? Or, or, or I mean, you know, fully using heroin. Uh, yeah. And to my knowledge, yeah. he was. He was. It yeah. was a fairly regular thing to him at that point. And I mean, yeah. he was willing to pay me for it, and he didn't have money. So, I'm assuming yeah. that, like, you know, yes. he might have been just going into that transition. But but that that was like several months after when I actually called him for the dealer's yeah. number. So I'm sure he was already there, and he was warning me. And so yeah. I uh, I ignored him. I told him I haven't yeah. had any issues with anything else. Like I can handle this, you know. Like I'm a smart yeah. man. Like I can. I know what my body like needs and does. Like I've learned <laughs> all about it. Like I can. Yeah, you're a chemist. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it was that arrogance I think that was really my downfall. But anyways, I called the dealer. It was a go-go dancer um, at a strip club. And so she invited me in, and it was like a bunch of scantily clad women who were very attractive and were all smoking heroin. And I was like, wow, (laughs) this is pretty chill. Like, I'm really high and feeling great. And there was really hot girls that I don't normally talk to. So Yeah, Yeah, exactly, especially with, like, normal social anxieties to to have that paired with the obvious intense euphoria that you're feeling i imagine that's like and coming off of a relationship that way too sure yeah 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 Yeah, it was a perfect it was a perfect storm yeah yeah like all those things kind of just worked synergistically to create a really negative situation yeah yeah Um, can i ask i'm curious like how long what's what uh but would you say between maybe the first time you tried this compared to like when it was an essential core part of your life do you know like what that time length was yeah i would say it would be approximately like a year a year maybe even less like seven to eight months i would say i was like really fucking hooked and like yeah really that like i quit smoking weed i quit doing any other drug and i just wanted heroin that's all i wanted yeah and i was selling heroin to like support my habit like a lot of drug dealers they like the really rich ones are the ones that who don't touch it like notorious big and the 10 crack commandments like that is don't use your supplies yeah (laughs) exactly um but i knew uh, knew we'd get to biggie eventually yeah yeah. (laughs) inevitable inevitable um yeah but uh so at that point i was selling it i was using it um I would I would take breaks when I would go home, so I'd usually kick. It would take about approximately a week to withdraw fully and start feeling wow. normal again. So a detox, you know, prior to visiting my parents because I didn't have any connections up in the Bay Area at that point. And um, uh, towards the end, so I graduated, I was getting ready for a PhD program. And at that point I was using so much fucking heroin, like it was out of control. And I remember I was, I told my parents I was gonna, like I was up at home for a little bit and I told them I was going down to get letters of rec. And I did, I ended up getting letters of rec. My teachers were more than happy to give me uh, recommendations because I did well in my classes. 
but uh, I really went off the deep end. We started dealing with a cartel in LA, um, who one of the dealers ended up getting busted by the FBI, but we were moving like large amounts of heroin, like uncut white, like so normal heroin, if you get it straight from China, is a pure white substance. And it's when it gets stepped on and like cut with like calcium and lactose and other things that it becomes a darker like black tar. And black tar is just, you know, more impure. And so we were getting uh, straight from the border. So it's called like Mexican sugar and it's like a light brown color. It's very strong, very pure, and you do not inject it. I mean, some Is people- Is it like a would, powder but... at that point? Yeah, it's a powder. You smoke it. It's very, very clean. You can snort it. A lot of people snort it uh, just hmm. because it's, yeah, it's a far cleaner oh, like substance. In, um... It's a Tarantino movie. Oh Pulp, yeah, Pulp, uh, Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, yeah. It's not Coke, it's fucking China White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's that's, uh, that's what why she, she gets because she thinks it's coke, but it's not. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 So, yeah, I kind of went off the deep end at that point, and then I, uh, my parents were like, you're not going to school right now, like, get the fuck back up here right now, like, you've been there for three months, and you've gotten, like, two letters of rec, like, what the fuck, like, so, uh, I went back up north, and, um, you know, I was kind of, I was lifeguarding at the time, (laughs) I don't know if I should be saying that. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not gonna say where I'll, I'm not gonna say where I was lifeguarding, but I. Was. Yeah. But there's a but there's a song about it. <laughs> oh, the YMCA. That was. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah. Oh, you're one of the village people. I yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, yeah. Uh, so I um yeah. So I was lifeguarding at the, this point in time. I was uh. I wasn't really using heroin. I was using Oxycontin, which is, I, I don't know if I you was, guys know about yep. it. Oh, we, we live in we Ohio. We live in Ohio, yeah. It's no, <laughs> you know, we're um, number one. Uh, it's, it's, it, yeah, we're, if not number one, very close to number one for uh, oxy and opioids in general. In oh, the really? I think I remember yes. reading that somewhere. Is it, it is because it is of the a pill massive, mill? massive problem. Yeah. It is everywhere. It is terrifying. Um, it, is, it is scary, easy to get to. It is scary everywhere that the connections of people you know everybody you know. knows if someone. anybody that works in a school now has uh, knows like 50 students every year that are their, affected their parents, by an OD I, death. I, I teach and you know my students i have many connections you know because of their parents and their situation it's a real problem in ohio it's mm-hmm. very rampant parents well, are dropping like flies yeah. around some schools yeah 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 we that's crazy uh, that's insane mm-hmm. yeah it's is it from my, the pill uh, mills basically yeah. it um it's just over it started as a over prescription actually out of state so like from from what i understand and from what i've seen um so like there was a lot of doctors and pharmacists in ohio who would prescribe it to people outside of ohio basically mm-hmm. um yeah wasn't there just a big bust in west virginia yes or something? So, so so a huge thing in ohio was they would actually prescribe it to people in west virginia kentucky and indiana um okay and then, and then basically after pe- people it, that was cracked down on it was a problem in the state 
Um, so now, oh, but now there's it, fentanyl going around too. Exactly. That's killing fentanyl's so a huge problem people. now. Um, fentanyl is the worst, man. That yes. kills so many <laughs> fucking people. Oh my god, I yeah. hate the, fucking the, the, dealers. I that mean, cut that shit. Mm, the the billboards. I mean, you know, it's, you just drive around Ohio. Yeah, every time, I, especially uh, I go down to Southern Ohio a lot for family, and yeah, I pass like three billboards that shows someone on the ground with a needle next to them, and oh like, shit. You know, numbers. Yeah, it has it has changed rural Ohio drastically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Billboards though, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, straight up billboards. Like, yep. What's the drug? Uh, the that the, you're the big billboard you always see is uh, "Don't live in denial, Ohio." Oh, look in, yeah. look into, look into opioids. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's or, or, yeah, it's even. But there's around Cincinnati and Dayton. There's billboards saying they carry that drug that you can get. That, yeah, because that's like um, an overdose. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. You see park benches. It's on, I mean, it's on billboards it's on park and park benches, benches I mean, and everything. You know, it's like. So, you say Suboxin? Suboxin. Yeah, don't. Suboxin. Is that. Yeah, Suboxin is a horrible substance. I mean, it's a great way to kind of. I don't know, like, you know, an early recovery. But I, I took Suboxin for a while, and holy shit, the withdrawal huh. was absolutely horrible. It's like, I think it's four to five times as strong as heroin. But the way Whoa. it works is that it's a large molecule. Like, it's a very bulky molecule. So it will bind to your opiate receptor, and then it will block anything else from binding to it. So you can't use heroin on Suboxin because you're already getting this, like, massive dosage of, like, opiate pleasure, and then it's blocking anything else from binding to it. So it's used kind of like uh, extra level of methadone you know methadone you can still get high on but it's oh, meant to like right. kind of cra- like this, satisfy those cravings is that the one that they they give to people who are actively overdosing like, yeah 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 okay. like methadone clinics oh no 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 oh, no, people, no 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 people that are ODing you get naltrexone yeah that's the one there's yeah. billboards oh. saying like everybody should be carrying that stuff that's yeah, and I think is. that's I, I think it's good to to have that anywhere. The, 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 the police state. departments in Ohio, like most of them now, carry it. There's even like a lot of talk of just put like it's in every police car. The t- the amount of money and resources that would go into dealing with someone that's overdosed or dealing with a crime associated with it is phenomenal, and yeah. I think you could combat a lot of that. And like. You know, I'm someone that's been through the system. I've dealt with it, like, firsthand, and I still think it should be legalized, and I think that at the end of the day, you take that tax money, that tax, the taxes from, like, selling it, and you invest it in a rehab, and you get you get people, you know, those kinds of help rehab so that it helps. Yeah, exactly, and it kind of prevents it from becoming further an issue. Because it, it is very much an issue where we are. Um, so how, so how, go ahead, Nick, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to kind of play off of what you said there, the idea of, like, legalizing it. So you think that in some ways, because obviously that wouldn't get, get rid of it, but you think by ha- bringing it to the surface, that's, like, an easier way to kind of deal with it, and, or, or, or would you say that maybe in certain situations it makes sense to, like, use those sorts of things and even, um... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious if you could elaborate on that whole idea of, like, yeah, legalizing that and where you're coming from with that. Because you obviously have way more experience than we do. (laughs) Yeah, so I I inevitably, 
I uh, went home. I ended up in Oakland. And so from my experience within mm-hmm. Oakland and what I've seen firsthand is that a lot of gangs, and I'm not going to say the names, but a lot of gangs derive a lot of their power from selling these drugs. And heroin and crack cocaine are the, like the big ones right now. And so by legalizing it, you first cut off a lot of a lot of money from these gangs you know these gangs that are murdering people every fucking day you know they get over turf wars for where they can sell their shit and you remove a lot of the violence right from the drug game and then from there through taxing it you can make it the treatment options a lot more accessible because you know right now it costs a lot of money to go to a rehab like it costs a lot of fucking money and it prices out a lot of the lower socioeconomic groups that need this the most because they're yeah. the people affected the most by these drugs i've seen people who have had their parents addicted to crack parents addicted to heroin and getting out of that cycle that takes a lot of fucking work and i think that it's not fair for a human being to have to deal with that in their life Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if you can make it more accessible, then these lower socioeconomic groups can have access to these rehabs. And then from there, you can actually break that cycle and give these kids more of a fighting chance, you know, beyond just all the other obstacles that they're going to have. Like, drugs is just another fucking thing. I'm I'm curious, do do you have maybe, like a list or something that you credit maybe to you you getting clean more than anything else like can can you talk about that process yeah so um yeah i spiraled out of control i ended up becoming an iv user i was living out in oakland like i was technically homeless living in my car like staying in like a utility closet at a, at a fucking building and uh i had my brothers and my family like constantly trying to find me and help me and i still remember to this day my older brother flying from fucking la and he's like an investment banker and he's very well off he's not really you know comfortable with going to Oakland by any means. He hasn't dealt with that <laughs> kind of, those kinds of concept. people. He's a very, very much a yuppie, are. if you think about it in that sense. Yeah. yeah. And he fucking flew out to the Bay Area, went into some of the roughest areas. Like, I would not... Like, I only got through there because I knew someone who grew up in Oakland. And so I got introduced to these people. And even still, like, I was only protected because of the people I knew and the older people I knew in particular. Like when I would go out and seek drugs, I would go for like the 40 or 50 year olds because they wouldn't rip you off, they aren't violent, and they've been around for a while and they're that old because they're smart. And so they would look after me, uh, give me safe passage. I dealt with the gang a lot and I wasn't ever a part of it, but I was friendly with them enough that they knew who I was. You know, there's not a lot of white kids wandering out in Oakland. And um, yeah. uh, so uh, anyways, I stayed at a hotel and my br- brother flew out to these really rough ass areas to like find me. And I remember him like knocking on the fucking door. Somehow he dragged me down. I don't know how. I think he used, like, my credit card or something like that. But I was staying in a single-room occupancy uh, apartment, which is essentially a bed and a sink and a shower shared between, like, 20 people. 
and I can guarantee 90% of those people are active drug users. And so I was staying in this building, and he was, like, bashing on the door, like, I know you're in there, like, get the fuck out, like, you need to get help, like, blah, 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 blah. And me just, like, hiding underneath my bed, like, smoking some more, just being like, fuck off, like, I just want to relax. Um, and I, I think at that point I was too far gone, you know, like I, I get in, like, I, I would say a drug addiction when you're like fully in it is kind of similar to like a alligator or like some kind of reptile where you're just seeking out one thing. You're not thinking about how it's affecting anyone else. You lose that kind of like higher thinking and you're just solely looking at instant gratification. I come up quick, I come up short I see light under every door It's hard to feel alone Do all the hiss and all the help Break my fully packed skull It's hard to feel alone It's hard to feel at home And so I just, like, I just ignored him and shit. And then from there, I ended up, uh, like, going out one last time. I blew all my money. I did a fuck ton of heroin. Um, and I, or no, 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 wait, I'm recalling this incorrectly. I, I ended up getting arrested. I got arrested multiple times, actually. And so the first time I got arrested, uh, I started a fight at a gas station when I was super high off crack. I was using that in conjunction with the heroin to keep me awake. Um, I would inject it, so it would be like a speedball. Um, And uh, so I got arrested. I got sent to county jail. I had five misdemeanors at this point, and uh, I was in jail for like three days or something like that. They got me out, and then my parents wanted to take me to a rehab. And so, uh, first they took me to a hospitalized detox, uh, facility where they monitored me and, like, uh, like, gave me, like, a ton of different drugs. Like, it fucked me up. Like, I was really fucked up the entirety of the time there. Like, more so than, like, just heroin. Um, and, uh, so I was going through that detox and then I would say, uh, like my parents, or I don't know if you want me to go into like a ton of detail, but essentially I had like oh, my go parents. into anything you want to go into. Yeah, man, it's okay. Yeah, don't worry about us. A- anything no, uh, you say is interesting. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you're you're uh, okay. So I I was at this detox facility. I demanded to go to a Suboxone treatment center, and so I went to the Suboxone treatment center. And at this place, uh, I would say that it was, it used to be a very, like, uh, well-respected rehab, but it had changed hands uh, because the original founder had died and his wife took it over. And she didn't, she wasn't, like, an ex-addict herself, like her husband. She was just using it to make money. And so it showed within the treatment, and I wasn't really ready to quit at that point. So I ended up... uh, asking to transfer uh, rehabs and during this transfer my parents found a better one up in the North Bay area 
and mm-hmm. I essentially escaped again. I like had backpacks hidden around my hometown filled with drugs. And so like I asked my mom to go on a run with me and I sprinted to like one of these backpacks, stuck it in my socks to like, you know, have like a little heroin to do. And then as soon as I, and it was like a gnarly sprint. It was like 90 degrees out. Uh, it was up like, it was about a mile and a half, two miles. And my mom runs all the time. I don't run for shit. Like, I was smoking all the time. So I was, like, dying trying to, like, carry this heroin back to my house. And then I got to my house, and my mom was like, okay, so strip down. Like, we're going to wash all our clothes right now. And so I had, like, about 300 to $400 worth of heroin that got washed away. So I was, like, I had this, like, really intense craving at this point because I was so close. Yeah. So I ended up just like calling a cab, uh, taking out the last of my money, and then going out uh, back to Oakland to uh, go pick up more crack and heroin. And then in the process, so I used to move a lot of this stuff uh, to other parts of the Bay Area. And so I ended up dealing with higher ranking people within these gangs that trafficked a significant amount more so I would purchase like several thousand dollars worth of heroin and crack and uh, in the process I, I think I picked up 400 500 dollars worth of crack cocaine uh, and prior to that I had like about 700-800 of heroin and so during the picking up of the crack cocaine uh, this is a street level dealer so he would it was open air market so he would be posting on his like car his fancy ass car with like two iPads and a giant baseball size uh, crack rock and he would just break you off like chunks of it and so I showed up to the crack dealer's house and I asked him uh, do you uh, like can I pick up like X amount and then he was like do you, did you see a cop around? And I was like, I look around and I'm like, no, I don't see anyone. I, I, and I think he's just high as shit, you know, just being paranoid. And uh, he hands me off the crack. I get back into my car. I drive around the corner and then I have four cop cars coming at me from like all different directions. And they throw me out of the fucking car. And prior to seeing the cops what I did is I took the large chunk of crack that I had I broke off a small piece I left it in the console I took the big rock and hid it in my car and uh essentially they threw me out of the car they were like where the fuck's a crack uh where the fuck's a crack and this is Oakland police they aren't <laughs> gentle by any means <laughs> yeah. <I> was like, <laughs> you're not their first drug bust <laughs> yeah huh I said you're not their first drug bust yeah yeah, exactly. And I'm some like skinny ass white kid, so they're gonna fucking put the fear of God into me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the crack, the crack, it's in the console. It's in the console. So they don't search the rest of my car because they just assume I'm scared shitless and that I'm telling them where everything is. I could have gone into a lot of trouble. I ended up like they only took like a very small piece, like ten or twenty dollars worth, instead of the several thousand dollars worth of drugs I had hidden in the car. Um, which yeah if you ever have drugs like make sure you take a small amount and leave it in the open and seem very scared (laughs) yeah yeah got all the tricks uh yeah so they uh they booked me for felony possession so you can get a felony just for having any amount of crack cocaine on you uh they booked me for a felony there was a big thing uh actually in ohio there was on, on in the last election there was an issue that failed but 
uh, yes. the main point was changing changing the possession to misdemeanors based on based on the amount for a lot of that stuff for almost everything yeah yeah for so it, the really idea sad how it did not pass but well I knew there was there was some I think there was some like legitimate criticisms of it yeah, yeah. I I thought it was really I mean I yeah I saw it as like the first direction to yeah jail reform and like exactly, prison reform exactly. and that sort of thing yep. but yeah, so that's interesting you bring that up because yeah, it was, it's definitely a, a to, yeah to show you <laughs> how how much that is part of the culture here. It's it's on a lot of minds and how to change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I think that that that's really sad that bill didn't pass because getting a felony on your record is life ending. Like that's how a lot of criminals continue to be criminals because they can't get legitimate jobs. Yeah, like, yeah, that's why would like... they work at McDonald's? When they could just sell, you know, and there, there's a lot of intelligent drug users. I mean, that Absolutely. I've met. Well, I mean, um, drug users huh? is all forms and people, and yeah, yeah. That that was actually something I I had on my list, and we can, uh, if it, if it fits into the story now, we can talk to it. But like how, yeah, how you basically got to, with with these sorts of charges on you, how you got a position like you do yeah. now, that where yes. where it's kind of more. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just surprised almost that that happened. Obviously, it, I'm glad. Yeah, that, but yeah, so I, I, I would say like, you know, it was a kick in the ass that I needed, but it definitely threw a massive obstacle in my way. And in reality, I needed treatment. And I think fundamentally, like, if you can treat the drug usage, I, I, I mean, it's something that you're doing to your body. If you're not committing, you know, violent felonies, robbing people and shit, like. You know, there's two different types of drug users. There's someone that's willing to, like, beat the fuck out of you and steal all your money, and then there's someone that's just, like, working and using their money to get drugs. And I think that should be distinguished against. But mm-hmm. I, I, so I went to, so after this arrest, I went to County, uh, Alameda, uh, Alameda County Prison, which is Santa Rita. And this is a really rough prison this is rent or jail i should say it's a jail it's technically a jail county's jail uh federal offenses so longer than a year is a prison mm. and so this this one in particular is ran in a prison like a prison because of the gangs so a lot of jails don't have this gang uh like gang rule but when i got there uh it was ran they had the aryan brotherhood the black gorilla family and uh there's a couple other like mexican gangs and shit i don't know which ones they are like norteños or something and so uh i i had to bunk up so they put me in iso for like a half a day i think just for my own safety because i was like a lot smaller although everyone assumed i murdered someone like all everyone was in jail was asking me if i murdered someone i think because of the stereotype of like the crazy white kid or something and i looked <laughs> super <laughs> yeah. fucked up that's wild yeah Which, so they huh when i i mean i've everything i've seen where it's like yeah they and did, did you i guess i'm curious did you own up to that or like did you try to change your reputation or something oh no i just told them i was a crackhead and i was doing lots of heroin and they didn't give a yeah. fuck they're sure. they're yeah. like oh, okay like this person this is just on. like us like yeah. most of them asked me what i was doing smoking crack but i was like oh i like it i'm sorry yeah that's yeah. wild man yeah how yeah. long were you there uh so i was there for so they booked me on a 
Friday, and then I got out that Monday. It was either a Monday or a Tuesday, so like four to five days. Uh, it was okay. a short little stint. Um, and so when they took me to trial, uh, they basically like, oh, this kid has like, you know, a de like college degree. He was just being a fucking idiot. Like, you know, he just needs to get treatment and he can be a productive member of society. So I was put on probation for about two years. And then I was court ordered to, I think, 180 days of treatment. Um, and so at this point, I, you know, with a, I always told myself, if I got a felony on my record, I'm going to stop. And so yeah. I got a felony. So I was like, all right, fuck it. Like, time to buckle down and, like, get my shit straight. And so it was, it was like, it was definitely tough at first. Um, they had me on a lot of, like, antidepressants and shit like that. But I, I didn't really need it. Like, I, I more have, like, social anxiety. And I can handle that in a variety of different ways that don't require prescription drugs. Um, not to knock anyone that needs them. You know, if you need yeah. them, you need them. It, it, did um, it make your situation worse or did it just... It made me feel really numb, and huh. so I didn't like mm -hmm. that, you know? Like, I want mm -hmm. to feel feelings. Like, I numb myself out with heroin. Like, yeah. I don't need, like, prescription drugs to do the same thing for me. Yeah. And so sure. they had me on, like, four or five prescription medications, um, and then I got clean off of that, and I was working out, like, a fuck ton. Like, I got <laughs> in really good shape. I'm, I'm sitting at, like, 140... 140, 145 pounds right now, but I bulked up to about 190, and I was like a gym rat for sure. That's right. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all you can do when you're in rehab. Yeah. I mean, you know, so like, like I, so yeah, it's point. interesting. I literally used to live across the street from a rehab center, um, mm -hmm. and the basement is just a big gym. And yeah. so, so like, oh, that place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, when I would, um, uh, I run a lot, and like whenever I run by there, it's just like working out. It's just you know, if if it's if it's past like three p.m., it's just people working out. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a great way to get that endorphin high too, right? Like yeah. the endorphin high is fucking amazing, and I love cardio. I I mean, I still like cardio. I I don't work out nearly as much now because of my work, but uh, mm -hmm. prior to mm -hmm. that, I was a gym rat. So the Contra Costa County like first arrest for the five misdemeanors, that was like a bitch to fight because the DA was just being an absolute uh, C word. And uh, she was just <laughs> trying to throw the book at me. And it was like, fuck, like I wasn't like I wasn't in my right state of mind, you know, like I was super fucked up. Like, I, I'm not, like, a repeat offender, and I'm not, like, a super violent person. Um, so they ended up sealing that. I got it sealed. And I had my parents helping me throughout this process with, like, a lawyer and stuff. And I think that was a huge aspect. And if you can't afford a lawyer, like, you're going to have that stick to your record. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no way you so, can fight that. Yeah, so and it wasn't, like, know. instantaneous. I had to jump yeah. through a lot of hoops to get that uh, taken care of. Um, so I got that sealed, and then in Oakland, 
I ended up, I had to travel for one of my brother's weddings and I asked them if I could go out of the country to do that. And they said, because I like had a job, I was working and I was like pissing clean for all my piss tests and I was doing a great job. I think they ended up letting me off like a, after a year and a month or something like that, which was really nice. I mean, it was a blessing uh, to be able to go see my brother's wedding like in Brazil. Uh, wow. and so, oh, in Brazil, wow, wow. Huh? You said in Brazil? Yeah, in Brazil. It was oh. right around uh, uh, the Olympic time during the oh, Olympics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so uh, that, yeah, so they got me off, and that was amazing. And uh, so from there, I would I would say that uh, going through AA and watching, you know, certain people relapse and stuff like that, and me staying, I, I think I stayed, like, no drugs, no alcohol, nothing for approximately like two or three years. Um, I, I, I would say the passion towards like research and like my interest in continuing my career uh, really helped motivate me and getting clean. And I think a combination of having that safety net, uh, back to your question, this is a long tangent, but back to your question. Yeah, you're um, uh, I think having that safety net and having like a family that supports you, having financial, you know, uh, financial backing and being able to afford rehab as well as having, you know, that's just like the uh, environmental support. And then internally, I would say like I did AA, I did all that stuff, but ultimately I think what truly kept me focused and away from like heroin and I like, I still drink and I smoke and stuff like that. Like I'm not. A saint by any means but i don't smoke every day or drink every day you know sure like, they they really emphasize the fact that like in aa if you drink or smoke like a single time you're going to be out of control and you're going to like you know go off the deep end i just Spot stay away that. from here yeah a lot of crack. people have problems with huh? AA that way say and that again I, another issue with aa uh is that don't they sort of push a religious ideology as well oh yeah uh, I don't necessarily have that much of an issue. I'm a practicing Buddhist myself, or I shouldn't say practicing. I used to be practicing, but I still adopt a lot of the philosophies from it. But I, di I didn't care that much about the, the like, God shit. Like, I, at the end of the day, it's about building a support network and just having friends and feeling included because a lot of drug users are people who don't feel included or, like, you know, yeah. feel different to other people and want to, like, seek that escape however they can, which you know, they end up doing drugs to, like, kind of feel better about that. Well, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was something yeah. I was thinking about is huh? that experience of, like, I guess there's that, you know, there's that adage of, like, um, y you're not really, at a certain point, you, you, you can't just treat the drugs. You have to treat what's causing that usage. And I guess, I, I don't know if you had relation to that. Just talking with you briefly, it sounded like maybe it was you got into some stuff more socially and it maybe got out of control or would you say you were kind of leaning on some of that stuff to maybe escape something else in your own world or something like that i don't know i don't know if you have any thoughts yeah. on that yeah i think it was a lot of social anxiety and stuff and intermixed mm -hmm. with that depression left over from that breakup um 
Sure. But I, I, I feel like once I was like, and then it became environmental, I would say for sure, towards the end, you know, you just hang out with mm-hmm. people who are doing that shit all the time. So like when in yeah. Rome, um, yeah. but I think by pulling yeah. myself out of that environment and then focusing in on what was really important to me, which, you know, is my career and like helping people and like using my brain for something positive. I think that was a really strong motivator for keeping my life like on track because I remember at like six months I remember this guy had um, what is it uh, the synthetic morphine um, shit I forget what the painkiller's called it's some painkiller that's just like morphine Dilaudid Dilaudid he had like oh yeah. oh yeah 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 <coughs> the drip yeah and yeah and he offered me free to lot it at like six months but i remember the thing that really like kept me saying like no fuck this was like that desire to like get into research and like do really cool things with like my my education and i think uh, that that was like the ultimately the defining part in my sobriety i would say you know all of it helped at the end of the day but that was like really what i would say was the rock in my sobriety um and still keeping me from like you know wanting to use heroin or crack or any like really heavy duty drugs or anything on like a daily basis I should say. Yeah, because because I imagine you know I mean it's it's been a while since you've been in that situation, but you know there's there's obviously still always uh, that it, it happened right you know and um, I would imagine uh, that would pop up in my mind you know again. Yeah, yeah, no, like, the the very common thing is to have these dreams where you, like, chase after the drugs. So, like, I, when I was getting sober, I would have these fucking dreams. And it's kind of like PTSD in a weird way. Like, I wouldn't say it's nearly as severe as someone coming from Iraq or something like that. But you still desire that drug, you know? It made such a massive impact in your life. Like, you still have dreams about chasing it and getting it. But I felt like the on a subconscious level when I really knew I was in that that turning point was when I would get it in my dreams but I would wake up anxious that like I violated my sobriety mm. you know oh, yeah and I, that's I a like, really interesting wow sorry I interrupted keep going man oh yeah yeah it's just yeah in that in that sense I felt like there was a real subconscious turning point you know like it 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 was yeah, through that, I felt like I really was in the clear in terms of that. And statistically, I think the first year is a 90% relapse rate. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, wow. and then after that, it, like, cuts so in half and then cuts in half. And after, like, wow, three I didn't years, 90% so, so, that is, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, it, it, like, it might not be 90% specifically, no, but, but it's very, very high. Yeah, I, yeah. I completely, based on people I've seen and yeah. scenarios, I completely believe it. Yeah, yeah. I heard my ghost on a breezy highway. I was sleeping behind my tired father, dreaming beside my sleeping brother. I heard my ghost on a breezy highway. I was sleeping behind my tired father, dreaming beside my sleeping Start, um, so, uh, has your relationship to other substances drastically changed as much because of you know your heroin and crack past? 
Yeah, yeah. I would say in terms of drinking, I drink maybe like once a week. Uh, smoking, I, I smoke uh, like uh, I vape now. So like I, I was smoking cigarettes and that's a very common thing with AA is you get right. addicted to like coffee and cigarettes. So I, I yeah. vape now um, on a fairly regular basis and then I basically stay away from everything else. Um, yeah. I, I've researched something called nootropics, which is a cognitive enhancing like substance that doesn't cause any kind of euphoria, so it's not inherently addictive. Hmm. And so Russia did a lot of research and essentially they have these compounds called racetams, which uh, will catalyze choline in your body to create acetylcholine and I don't know if you know what acetylcholine is nope. but I've heard the word but that's it <laughs> yeah it creates uh, memory elasticity and increases your focus and stuff like that so oh. essentially you take a choline supplement you take this racetam it's totally legal it's been around for like hundreds of years and it allows you to focus more and stuff and so it's very common within biotech and like tech in general to use these substances hmm is there is that uh i've also heard just like um i was just on the west coast recently and i had never heard of this substance before but it sounds like it's big over there it was uh cro cro uh cro crotum what is it cross kratom kratom, kratom. kratom. yeah not uh, crotum because that sounds way too much like scrotum uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh kratom kratom i find to be uh very helpful if I ever get like a really intense craving or something like that because it acts it's it's just a plan it's very mild and it's uh, essentially stimulation of like the opiate receptor and it's not really inherently addictive at all and it's used actually to treat heroin addictions in uh, Asia Southeast Asia is where they cultivate it so That's, I would say yeah, yeah it, I learned about it through this process that's hmm. how I heard about it, because, yeah, my, my, my cousin brought it up in the same way that it's used for addiction stuff, but she she said, it's like, she tried it, and it just made her sick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely got to dose it properly, and it tastes like assholes, so <laughs> it's probably a Oh, I'm sold. Yeah. I mean, I love the taste of assholes, so I'm, sh I'm sure I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest ways that, you know, your relationships to your family and friends have changed because of this? So I would say uh, my parents are still learning. I, I would say they trust me now, but they're still in the process of learning to like really trust me entirely. Mm -hmm. um, with my girlfriend uh, or finding a girlfriend, it was definitely a learning experience yeah. of like when to tell them, right? Because it's not something sure. you want to hide, but it can also be a way to break up with a girl. <laughs> Convenient. Yeah. So I used it like truth, that. Um, in terms of getting like uh, uh, like my my friends, I would say uh, I I burnt a lot of bridges in that process, but I do know who my like true friends Absolutely. are. Um, and you know, they're the ones that stuck by me. They're the ones that were like trying to get me help and stuff like that. So in that way, I feel like those bonds have certainly strengthened. And same with my brothers as well, because they're very supportive as well as my parents. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, a question that I, that kind of came to my mind is like, maybe similar along that path as far as just like forming those bonds and whatnot. Do you, 
do, do you feel so like I guess what we're doing right now like talking about that and like I imagine in some ways reliving some of those tough times do you f- do you feel like that that helps at all because uh, honestly going into this I almost I was a little concerned doing this interview just in the sense of like you know we're in no way licensed therapists and whatnot and like but talking talking through that I don't know it almost it almost puts a responsibility in and I don't know if that can some way be tougher or yeah any thoughts on that yeah I mean in terms of like talking about it uh you know I I I think as far as like sharing it with people I find it to be very cathartic in that sense and then as well as addressing it I you know I definitely felt the need to address it in the right way and to kind of talk about the positives as as well as the negatives you know associated with everything um but yeah I I and yeah, I think in terms of talking about it, just in general, uh, you know, I, I, I find it cathartic. I find it cathartic. Honestly. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, yeah and it's especially, I guess, since you were, since you came to me, I, I didn't feel as bad, but, like, let's say, you know, if I had someone else close to me that I knew maybe went through that sort of thing, like, you know, it's not the sort of thing I'll just be like, hey, talk about this. You know, it's it seems like it's, it, 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 it'd be better on it's it's up to you or up to, it's up to the person to bring it up sort of thing i imagine yeah yeah i mean i i necessarily i don't necessarily have any kind of like shame or like i i don't feel the need sure. to necessarily hide it beyond the fact that people will, will treat you differently because of it you know yes. like, i, I imagine yeah work my, my job about this or anything oh yeah um and you know like if i feel like someone's a really close friend yeah i'm sure it will come up eventually you know but it's not something that like usually gets touched on in conversation right right you know so uh yeah no i i I mean i i felt fairly comfortable talking about it especially with the fact that my name isn't being used yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so yeah 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 well you seem like it when i it's also kind of cool because like obviously that's we we only know you through this setting so there's there's obviously not going to be any sort of like drastic change in my mind of who you are because yeah. <laughs> preconception or something yeah yeah so um but yeah huh. no that's cool i'm yeah i think like uh i mean once people get to know me usually when i tell them they're like what the fuck like <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're living and like out in the hood like smoking crack and doing heroin i would not expect that from you yeah my I girlfriend was very yeah well and it just shows that that can anybody can be in that situation yeah you know yeah that's beyond that um uh do you currently or have you you know recently still like sought out uh you know communities of people who are have had addiction or had your addiction or like your addiction yeah um so at least like on reddit there is a lot of like really positive communities for like Mm. talking to Hmm. people and stuff bergen's the reddit man right here (laughs) what's up he lives on reddit yes oh yeah yeah reddit Reddit is awesome (laughs) a lot a lot a lot of great people on reddit for sure um and I don't know, like yeah. six or seven hundred people reached out to me when I was talking about quitting smoking cigarettes. It just, it was really sort yeah. of moving how many people just saw a stranger on the internet and were like, hey, you know, here's my little bit of advice or encouragement. And nobody had anything negative to say. It was, it was awesome. Are, are there, yeah, yeah. 
are there resources that you would recommend to anyone or someone? Yeah, I mean, in terms of early sobriety, uh, if you're someone that's trying to get clean and sober, I would strongly recommend like seeking out a Narcotics Anonymous if you're using, you know, drugs and stuff like that, or AA if you're using alcohol. I think for early sobriety, it's certainly a great uh, tool to use to get into the community and find out what programs are out there for, you know, sober living environments and rehabs and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, like, it, at the end of the day, your life tends to move forward and you have something that you're truly passionate about. Uh, you know, don't let not going to an AA meeting be your rationalization towards, like, using alcohol, you know? Like, yeah. But, yeah, I would say AA and NA are just great tools in general in terms of just, you know, getting on the first That's steps good to hear. towards the right path. Yeah, because yeah. it's pretty prevalent. Right. I'll, and I'll, you're just passion. Yeah. I'll try and only ask a couple more because I I could just keep going. Yeah. This is silly. Um, hmm. So in general, um, since you you know kind of went through the criminal justice system, did you find that it was that they had your best interests in mind when you were going through? Uh, <laughs> I feel like certain aspects of it certainly, but I think at the end of the day, the fact that you have a misdemeanor or a felony on your record can ruin careers. I would not have a job right now if I still had a felony on my record. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it the the barrier of entry to like getting into biotech is already very high, and that yes. just makes it even higher. Beyond just that, you know, any job, you know, they're always going to look at you twice if you're a felon. Right. right. Well, and it, it boggles my mind of like when you think about let's just ask ask someone, a, a random person on the street or whatever, like what's the point of the criminal justice system and like prison system and all that? And I think I think more often than not, you'll hear people say, oh, the point is punishment to ensure to to discourage other people or repeat offenders. Right. The idea of punishment while which is pretty much the complete opposite of like rehabilitation or at least like see what you did was problematic and deal with that and it's it boggles my mind because like to me that is not the like the 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 point should be to help people or to get them so that they're not they don't feel a need to break whatever big law they did or something like that i don't know yeah yeah yeah, I mean, in, like, jail, right, it just cultivates that behavior to, like, the upteenth degree, you know? Like, racism is <laughs> so prevalent. Like, you know, violence is prevalent. Drug usage is prevalent. You know, when I went into jail, I got a lot more drug dealer numbers, and, like, I found people yeah. who were willing to, like, hang out and, like, do fucked up shit. Like, yeah. it's not rehabilitatory at all. Uh, that's, that's, that's so crazy. sad to hear. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, and I think everybody knows that now, you know. Uh, I guess what's the, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I just extent, hope, I hope yeah. something's going to push it over to change that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's so interesting and cool, you know, that, like, you obviously look at everything from a scientific position, you know, being a chemist and everything. Like, everything that has happened to you and everything you've done, you understand from, like, a, a scientific point, you know, you everything you just talked about that way. Um, are there any, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, books or like places that people can like you know find out about like 
what certain substances like do to them. I don't know. I, I, Without I, needing a degree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on a chemical. Or just like yeah, yeah, on so a chemical or on a, on a like huh? truly like interesting scientific level, not like the dare like, hey, just don't. Just like this is what these things do, you know. Yeah. 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 So there's a website called Arrowid org. Yeah. So Arrowid. it's spelled E R E R O W I D dot org. Mm-hmm. And it is a culmination of scientific uh, articles from like early research back in like the you know 1930s through like the 1970s, as well as user experiences and stuff. And it like really breaks it down in terms of like they'll have a plot in terms of like how high you are versus time. And so like well, with LSD, it will show like a slope up and then a sinusoidal wave where it kind of dips down and goes back up dips down and go back up for your like high and then it gives you like a time period so like three hours four hours five hours six hours and so just on like a very basic level you can always use that website and it breaks it down in a very simple way like it's it's kind of like the wikipedia so to speak except it's actually back i mean it's backed up with like scientific journals yeah bergen's bringing it up right now that's incredible. Wow, yeah. That's, we'll have to post some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, that kind of reminded me of something we were talking about on our kind of pre-interview, you and I. And I remember, I guess, to to demonstrate, like, how you really had two very de- uh, separate things going on in your life when you were in college. You said you wrote some paper or something or about, like, safe <laughs> usage. Can you tell that? Because I thought that was super yeah. interesting. Yeah, so uh, my senior year, I was smoking heroin at this point, and so I had a scientific writing class where we learned how to write scientific papers, you know, abstract all the way through methods and conclusions, and so I did it on safe injection of heroin through IV usage, and I was a little too detailed. My teacher, like... (laughs) told me I had to remove some of the specific volumes and amounts from the process that I was talking about. Um, But I ended up getting an A-plus on the paper. She thought it was really well written. Um, But (laughs) it was kind of, yeah, It's in a way it was kind of foreshadowing my future uh, choices. Well, I think it shows the, like, interest that you have just in, like, the whole process and the curiosity behind it, you know, which is... yeah. Which is a really fascinating thing and something that drives a lot of us, whether it's, you know, whatever interest that may be. And I guess, uh, yeah, to me, it, it, it paints it paints your scenario as more relatable, I think, you know, to like a yeah. lot of other people's interests and passions. Yeah, I mean, like the science behind bread ma- making. Uh, right, yeah. One of your past episodes. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah, or the science behind music, you know, like mm-hmm. the beats per minute and like the, you know, different types of instruments that compose a genre. Like, right. It, yeah, it all breaks down to like how you look at it. And like, I, I tend to look at it in, at an analytical lens. And I think a lot of people who are truly passionate do the same thing. Cool. Man, I mean, I think. I think that that sounds like a great note to almost end on. Yep. Just like I think Cutting that's it right there. S- super <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot for listening, folks.
Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thank thanks you so, so much. much. Seriously. Thanks for sticking around. Sincerely. Yeah. If you liked what you heard and you want to support the podcast, uh, give us a like on Facebook. Rate us on your podcatcher of choice. And, uh, you know, subscribe. subscribe. Yeah, subscribe and pass the word. Speaking of subscribing and supporting, uh, also, the, the biggest thing you can do right now for us is, is just to share the content, you know, uh, support the people and the artists and, and wonderful people that are on our episode and the wonderful music and other people that we feature on the episode. So it's yeah. all about support and, and sharing. Yeah, and what we're trying to do is to just create a community of nice, interesting people. And we'd like you, the listeners, to be part of it as much as Absolutely. possible. So check out. Share, you know, share this with your friends. Talk to us. If you have any thoughts after listening to an episode, reach Please out reach to out. one of us, either through Facebook or just leaving a comment on the actual episode itself. We'd, we'd love to have a chat with Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great night, buddy. Sincerely. Yeah, have a great night. Yeah. Great one. I'm sorry. When you dig your hole, Kinds of things are better found alone. I can hear you sculpting a safer spiral. How I Yeah.